Good morning. Please open in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, and then we shall see face to face. Now I am in part, then I shall, now I know in part, excuse me, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now, most of us have heard these words many, many times, and they're beautiful. Paul's words here describing uh, the love that God has for us and, and calls for us to have for one another, uh, the, the words he, use, he uses here are, are more like poetry than they are a definition. He's giving us beautiful image after image of what that kind of love should look like in our lives. It's not a fairy tale love. And while we do often read this passage in weddings, it's not just intended to happen between two people who are pledging to live the rest of their life together. It's not even just a love that's describing how we might try to love people who we're, we're close friends or family with. It is a love that Paul believes the Holy Spirit empowers us to actually live out to one another and with one another. And that is, at some level, if we're going to think about it, pretty intimidating. This list of behaviors and actions, at some level, is pretty daunting when we, you think about what it's like to live with imperfect people. You know, I, I think if you read that passage over again, and instead of the word love, you try to put your name in that place, how true does the passage still read? I can't get past Jared is patient. It, it's, it's a struggle to see what Paul's trying to help us see because I think we read it and we think, okay, well, Jesus loved that way, and I'm so thankful that Jesus loved that way. But Paul, what are you talking about when it comes to calling all of us, everyday ordinary people, the ways that we fail each other, the ways that we frustrate each other, the ways that we let one another down, and you're saying that this is how God is empowering us to treat each other? 
And that's exactly what Paul's saying. And, and it's especially important for us to understand that the, the church that Paul's writing to in 1 Corinthians is a messed up church. It's, it's a church, no matter how, how much you think the church you're at may be messed up at any time in your life, I, I assure you that whatever problems your church is struggling with, the church in Corinth has those problems and a few more. I mean, it's gotten so bad that not only are there, there are bunches of people in the church that have decided that, that arrogantly they know what the church needs more than anyone else and they're insisting on getting their way. And not only are there people who, who feel like if they have to choose between being right or doing good, they'd rather be right and are smug about it. And, and not only do you have people who are lying to one another and trying to do whatever they can to get more power than the other one, You've got, you've got people in this church who are having such difficult disagreements that they're actually taking one another to court. They're suing one another because they don't know how to make peace. They, they don't know, they're arguing about how to interact with people from other faiths, other religious backgrounds. Some of them don't, don't see much of a distinction at all between the Christian faith and these other faiths, and other people think that they should shun those people and correct those people and confront those people, and they, they can't decide on how that's supposed to go. So they're fighting about that, and they're, they're fighting about worship. And you don't have to go to church very long to know that it's always a temptation for us to fight about worship. It's, it's always there. Because we, we, we know that worship is a special time in our week where we gather together and we are, are trying our very best to be open to the presence of God, to draw close to God. And there are, are songs we sing and passages we read and things that people might say that help you in particular feel closer to God while you're in this place. And then there are are songs that we could sing and passages we could read and things that people could say that would make me feel closer to God in this place. And then the question becomes, well, who gets to decide what it is we do when we gather together to encounter God? Because I have a whole list of things that I would like for us to do every single week. That would wear the rest of you out. One of my favorite songs to sing is The Great Redeemer. One of our staff members, I'm not going to name names, but his name rhymes with Stephen Corbett. (laughs) He calls that song the Disney pirate song. And he almost ruined it for me, but not quite. And I am tempted all the time when we're talking about worship to throw the great Redeemer in there, but I don't do it. Partly because I'm afraid Stephen's going to make fun of me, and I don't want him to, even though I'm kind of making fun of him right now. But <laughs> part of it is because I'm guessing there's other people in this room that think that song's kind of funny. Now, here's the thing. You may love the great Redeemer, and if you do, you're right. But... You probably don't, all of you, right? And, and if you 
don't happen to like stamps factor songs with bass leads and alto leads and all that stuff. The question is, when we come here, I mean, I've actually heard people, overheard them at lunch saying, well, I didn't like the first three songs, but the last two songs were great. And I think what we're trying to say is that the songs we sang last were songs that I connect with and that helped me connect with God. And it may be a song that doesn't really help you connect with God, but we're all together here, and so we have to make decisions to have space for one another as we're trying to draw close to God. Now, here's it doesn't take a, a genius to understand that it would be easier for you to have your perfect preference-filled worship service by yourself. For yourself, right? You could pick all the songs, you could pick everything that happens, and, and it would be exactly what you'd choose, but you'd still be by yourself. Now, the question I think we have to wrestle with is, does worship happen when we're by ourselves? I think the answer to that is, absolutely. Worship can happen by ourselves. We speak to God when we're alone. Some of us sing to God when we're alone. We try to draw close to the presence of God when we're alone. All of those, those aspects of a relationship with God are talked about in Scripture and explored in Scripture. It may be for you that it's, it's at sunset or sunrise or when you're walking or when you're jogging or when you have a cup of coffee and your Bible and, and the, the, the morning is just beginning to break and you feel close to God. That is worship. But it's really easy to get along with everyone else when there's no one else. It's really easy to like everything that happens in that moment when you don't have to balance it for anybody else. And so God calls us to corporate worship. Not to live inside of corporate worship, but God calls us to certain times where on purpose we come into a space together knowing that we come with different needs and hopes, and fears, and preferences, and we put all of that on the altar, and we ask God to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed, we ask God to change what needs to change, and we ask God, as we together focus on God and open our hearts to God, we ask God for that that moment of being vulnerable and honest before God together will draw us closer together. That we will share experiences with God that are challenging, but are also deeper and better in some way than than experiences that, that I could have if all I ever did when I related to God was I related to God on my own. One of the key aspects of following Jesus Christ is putting the needs of other people above my own. That can't happen in a worship service where everything that we sing and say and do is exactly what I want, even if it's, it's not something that helps you draw closer to God. If I get to insist on that, if you let me insist on that, we're, we're not growing closer to the image of Christ together. You know, we, we use a passage in Matthew 18 all the time to kind of talk about if two or three are gathered together in, in God's name, God's with them. And that's completely taken out of context. That, that has, that's not a comment about corporate worship. It's actually a comment about when the church comes together to make a difficult decision and they seek God's wisdom on that decision, he says, I'm with you. I'm giving you my authority to make that decision. 
And we have time, some of the hardest times in church life are when there's a difficult decision to be made and we seek God's will and we try our best. And again, how hard is it for you to come to an agreement by yourself? I mean, I guess on a bad day, <laughs> you could get arguing with yourself and not know what to do. But in most cases, a disagreement happens. All it takes is two or three. And we seek God's will together, and we ask to hear God's voice together, and we trust that in that experience, somehow we're drawn close to God. Now, if God can do that in an argument, how much more can God do that when we come together on Sunday mornings with the express purpose to be that we reorder our loves so that we love what matters most, which is God, and then what does God always say in Scripture comes right after loving God? Loving our neighbors as ourselves. Has our, has our world lost its way this week with loving our neighbors as ourselves? And do you know, do you know the, the basic reason that we're killing each other? It's because we're afraid the other person, we're, we're afraid the other person will will take everything away from us. We're afraid the other person doesn't actually care about us. And we have good reason to be afraid of that, don't we, in our world? In a world where people look out for number one and they take what they can take, and if you won't give it to them, they'll take it by force. Our world is filled with fear And scripture tells us the only thing powerful enough to overcome fear is love. And love is the trust that if I, if I could get to a place where you really believed that I care about you and your needs more than I care about my own, that your natural response to that would be that you'd start to care about me and my needs. Here's, here's the irony about community. If a community is built on the conviction that I'm here because of what I can get out of it, that's why I'm a part of this community, right? The benefits that come from being in the community. If a community is filled with people who are primarily belonging to the community because of what they can individually get out of it, that community will fall apart with power struggles and betrayals and selfishness and all the things that often, while they have no place in church, are present in church. Now, he, here's the flip side. If a community is filled with people who instead of, are, you know, th- th- they're belonging to the community not to get what they can get out of it, but because they want to help other people, suddenly that's a community where you don't have to worry about whether your needs are being met. Somebody else is going to meet them. And too many times in, in church, and I don't just mean as a church community, I mean during church worship, gatherings, we find ourselves in a place in our hearts where we're here because of what I can get out of it. I'm here because of how this makes me feel. I'm here because I like the songs we sing. I'm here because I like the preaching. I'm here because I like the elders. I'm here because I like the Bible classes. I'm here because me. It seems to me the most Christ-like act of worship would be a worship service where nothing happened for me. 
right, that Christian worship is never about me. It is about God, and because God loves our neighbors and is asking us to love our neighbors as ourselves, it is also about us. Worship is about God, and worship is about how we treat each other in God's name, but it is not about me. And that is so difficult, because as easy as that is to say, the second we walk outside the door, we are bombarded with a world that tells us in advertisements and movies and television shows and the internet and Facebook, all that stuff, that ultimately the way you're going to find purpose and meaning in your life is to pursue everything you want. That life is about you. How is it that that voice is shaping our worship more than the voice of worship which says this is about us? Why isn't that shaping the world more? Why isn't that shaping me more when I walk outside of this building? That's the the struggle that the church in Corinth is having. And brothers and sisters, you and I know it's the struggle we can all have now. And when Paul tries to address their worship problems, he doesn't really go down a list like an order of worship of what they are and they're, they're not allowed to do. Which is typically what we start to worry about with worship. If it's not preferences, then we're also really anxious that we're going to somehow do something that's wrong. And if we do something that's wrong and we disappoint God, then, then either our, our worship is totally unacceptable or uh, we're going to anger God to the point where we're going to be disciplined. And some of us, I actually, I, I feel that there are times when we are so worship, uh, worried about worship being exactly what God wants it to be, that if we don't do that uh, according to this specific list of, of actions that we feel comfortable with, we're afraid ultimately that we're going to lose our salvation over it. That if we don't get it right in here, we know we're not getting it right out there all the time. We know we're imperfect. We know we mess up. So we start to think, well, yeah, but we could pull it together for an hour and a half. And we get terrified. When I talk to people about worship styles, I can tell that for some people, when we're talking about worship acts and styles, that part of what's at stake for them is, if we get this wrong, we could lose our souls. It's really hard to talk to somebody who's afraid of going to hell. It's really hard. That's what's in the background, I think, when we start talking about what what is it we're trying to do here. Well, when you read 1 Corinthians, he he does. He talks about all kinds of styles of worship. He He talks about all kinds of acts of worship. Here's what's interesting. He talks about several kinds of acts of worship that we don't do. He talks about acts of worship that we do. And it doesn't seem to matter to Paul all that much, not nearly as much as it matters to, to a lot of us. What he's worried about is whatever you do, are you doing it out of the right motivation? Are you doing it out of, of Christ's life-changing, self-giving love? Because it doesn't actually matter the details of what you do if what you do is done for yourself, for your advancement, for you to get your way, for you to win. If those are your motivations, for you, we talked about this last week, if what you're doing in worship is trying to to check off all the boxes so that you can say to God, I did everything you required of me, so now what? Right? That that's not, none of that's a healthy motivation for worship. 
Christian worship is where I find a way, corporate Christian worship is where I find a way to put your needs over my own. That's really hard. In fact, not only is it hard out there all week, I think it's really hard for just an hour and a half a week to think carefully through what what is it that we could do in this room that would help people hear God's voice and feel God's presence and draw closer not only to God, but in drawing closer to God, sharing God's heart, and because of that, loving one another the way Christ shows us it's possible to love. So Paul goes through the list of... You've noticed it when we read it. Paul lists several things they do in worship in 1 Corinthians 13. And he says, I don't care how beautiful your voice is. I don't care how well you can speak. I don't care how smart you think you are. I don't care if you've given everything away to the poor. I don't care if you've actually given your life away for the sake of the gospel. If you're doing all those things for yourself... You are not actually worshiping God. You are not pleasing God. Now, here's the, here's the hang-up I think we have. God loves you. God loves you when God's frustrated with you. God loves you when God's disappointed in you. God loves you. We don't earn God's love. We don't earn God's love through a certain form of worship. God loves you. That's constant. But God has a dream for your life, and that is that you would not know about that love or talk about that love or study that love and have it stop there. What God wants is for you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to try to live that love. And it's hard. It's hard. Because I don't know about you, but there's almost nothing in 1 Corinthians 13 that comes naturally to me. It it just doesn't. And not only that, I'm pretty sure I could love you that way if you were perfect to me. Like if I could just focus on me, right, and get all that stuff worked together. Where all that love gets hard is I'm not going to be perfect while I'm trying to love you that way, and you're not going to be perfect while I'm trying to love you that way. And we have to believe that God's love is stronger than our imperfections and, and, the, and the times where we just don't know what to do, that we choose love. And and kindness, and patience. Too often, I'm afraid, we give in. We give in to the sense that no one else is looking out for us, that no one else is going to take care of us, that no one else cares what we think, or feel, or say, and so we start to do things to claim territory, and and to build walls, and to keep people at a distance, and to say, I don't, I don't trust you. I mean, we got to confess this morning, right, that, that we don't all trust each other. That we don't. That we've said things to one another we wish we could take back, that we've, we've treated one another in moments of, of anger and frustration in ways that, that when we think back, we, we, we regret it that we set out in moments and conversations that we hope we're going we're gonna to fix things and change things and we just end up realizing that things are still broken 
And the question is, after all those times where we try to lead with love in our lives into a situation and it doesn't quite go the way we hope it, it will go, will we still choose love the next time and the next time and the time after that? This picture that Paul paints is, is beautiful, right? It's, it's a love that doesn't mind waiting on someone else. It's a, it's a love that is kind when it's really hard to be kind. A love that refuses to be jealous of what other people have or have accomplished. It's a, a love that never tries to feel better by putting other people down. It's a love that seeks to put the spotlight on other people instead of craving credit for any good thing that happens. It's a love that, that never gets angry for the wrong reasons. And even when it gets angry for the right reasons, it's careful with how it expresses that anger. It's a love that looks for truth. The truth about God and, and the truth about us and the truth about what's going on and holds on to it. It's a love that, that protects vulnerable people in a, in a dangerous world. It's a love that trusts God when everything looks like it's falling apart. It's, it's a love that hopes for the best when all we can see is the worst. It is a love that endures no matter what. And we come here every week, and in one way or another, we tell the story of that love because we tell the story of Jesus. And we don't just tell that story because it makes us feel loved. We tell that story because it makes us understand how we need to love. The best Christian worship service for you would be where everybody else is drawn closer to God. That somehow you found a way to encounter God by the way you treat someone in this room perhaps that you're happy is as far away from you as they happen to be right now. I mean, that's one of the dangers of an auditorium this big, right? We almost have congregations and pew sections. And we have people in this room who avoid each other. You remember what Jesus said, right? When he was talking about worship. He said, you come to worship and you remember that your brother has something against you. It's interesting, he assumes you don't have something against your brother. Go to them. Reconcile, and then come back to worship. Or maybe another way to think of it is, while we're at worship and we're focusing on reconciling with God, which is something that we do over and over and over again. It's this falling in love with God over and over and over again that we are willing in falling in love with God to listen to God's challenging voice to love people we find hard to love. And to say that when we leave this room, whatever else we've talked about and focused about, when we leave this room, we are recommitted, we are rededicated to that love. And we know it's going to be hard, and we know it's going to hurt, and we know nobody out there is going to be perfect, and we know that everybody out there is afraid that their voice doesn't matter, that they aren't as valuable as somebody else, that, that they're going to be taken advantage of and run over, that everybody out there at some level is afraid, and the only way they're going to be made brave is for people to love them with the life-changing, self-giving love of Jesus. And that we're the people who come to this place to be empowered to do that. And I know 
I mean, on a bad week, you know, we get out of here and 30 seconds in, we have to start over. But start over. And keep starting over. And recommitting until you can get to a day where you open up 1 Corinthians 13 and you can put your name in the place of love and it's telling the truth. That's what I want for us. That's what I want our worship services to call us to. It can't be about our preferences. It can't be about what I want or you want. It's got to be about us together drawing close to God and knowing that there will be things we do in this room that just don't connect with you. You know, I mean, if I could, if honestly, honestly, if I could design a perfect worship service, there wouldn't be preaching. (laughs) For me, a perfect worship service for me, I shouldn't say perfect. There wouldn't be preaching. We would sing. We would sing the whole time, and the center of our service would be the table. And we wouldn't have pews. We'd have a table, the world's biggest table, that we could all sit at together and look each other in the eyes while we take the bread and the fruit of the vine and we remember who we're trying to love like. That's probably not going to happen. Next week I'm going to come here and the VBS stage will be a little farther along. But the pews will still be here. And I'm guessing we're still expecting a sermon next week. And I got to tell you this. There's many, many weeks that I do not want to preach. And the only reason I preach is because I believe God's called me to. And because I know that for some people, for many people, one of the ways they hear God is through a sermon, right? Through, through the, the word proclaimed. So I trust and I do it. What is it that you have to put up with? Who is it you have to put up with? We're here together. I know it makes it harder. That's the point. We're here together, and we're trying to love one another with the love that saves us. And the question is, are we brave enough to keep trying over and over and over again? Worship is an act of enduring love. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places throughout this room to receive you, to pray with you, to to show you God's love. And so if you came this morning with a burden or a blessing that you'd like to share with a Christian couple, uh, I'm going to ask them to stand up wherever they are right now just briefly so you can see where they are. Go to them as together we stand and sing.